Matthew chapter 5, 1 to 16. Our verse of focus this morning is verse 5. Matthew chapter 5, 1 to 16. And seeing the multitudes, Jesus went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice! And be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they, the prophets, which were before you. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good work and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Dear Father, this morning, it is our desire to respond in heart and mind to the truth of Christ as preached. We pray that you would help us this morning to think about the moment in time in which the sermon was preached then to think about the uniqueness of this moment in time in which we would live after the principled application of the Messiah's manifesto. We thank you this morning to come to a blessed beatitude that staggers the mind and runs in such deliberate contradiction to everything we hear of in this world. And that has to do with the blessedness of meekness and the inheritance of all things. Thank you for the privilege. Stir our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus towards the text and the text in our hearts. But we do pray in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. 
Of the eight Beatitudes from the lips of the Lord Jesus, this one is the most difficult for me to represent clear, clearly. Two reasons. First, meekness is commonly thought to be a natural personality trait that I do not share. <laughs> Two, biblical definition of meekness is almost never correctly presented in public forums or in Christian publications. If you take the main book on meekness in a Christian bookstore, it's likely not to be right. <laughs> a quick check of the thesaurus will confirm that the word itself, the word itself, meekness, the biblical word meekness, means gentle, mild, lowly. But words like gentle, meek, and lowly in English use have a considerable offside as well as an upside. Take the word gentle, for example. A gentleman, a gentleman, by dictionary definition, is a man from a good family. I'm out already. <laughs> it's a man from a good family, a man of breeding, a man of social position. And I want to say, blue-collar dogs like me need not apply. Gentlemen, that's definition, Webster's. A gentleman farmer is a man whose wealth from other sources permits him to farm for pleasure rather than necessary income. A gentleman friend is a man with whom a woman is involved romantically but not yet married. The gentler sex is said to be female, not male, but you can't say that today in the public square. Gentle folk is the reputation of the hardworking Amish and Mennonite communities. And the word gentlemanly speaks of a person with good manners and tender touch. Okay, maybe a little bit. But I'm just saying you chase the words and you'll see as much that isn't true of you and me as anything that would be. Now, the question is, does any of that forementioned stuff have anything to do with the meekness and the gentleness of which King Jesus spoke? And the answer is, a little, a very little. Since many have so seldom ever heard the biblical form of meekness and gentleness, I want to give to you that specific definition right up front, and then, Lord willing, the sermon to follow will demonstrate and define that biblical definition for you. Here it is. Meekness is the sweet and gentle deferment of personal expectation from anyone or anything apart from God and his promise. Again, meekness is the sweet and gentle deferment of personal expectation from anything or anyone apart from God and his promise. Biblical meekness is first and foremost a vertical posture of the soul before God. 
And then it is a complementary horizontal demonstration of that vertical posture before God. Meekness is not a personality type. It is not lackluster or unenthusiastic. It is not shy or necessarily quiet audibly. It is not being a coward or a doormat. It is not connected to weakness or being sickly. And Jesus didn't lose it when he tipped over the tables. I found that the writing of John Montgomery Boyce was particularly helpful in coming to a better and biblical understanding of meekness as it is indeed connected in three uses of the term from a biblical perspective. Three uses of the term from a biblical perspective. Those three uses are domesticated animals, balance on a scale, and uh, trust and obey. Let me back up and just hit those a minute. Meekness is control. Meekness is control. As you think about, as I think about, when wild animals are brought under the will and the control of a person, they are rightly called meek and gentle. Said animals lose none of their power. They lose none of their physical ability, but are brought under control for human use and purpose. Therefore, the term meek is likewise used among men to speak of a civilized or cultured person who has come under the control of academia, who has come under the control of education, or has come under the control of social expectation. But, of course, that is not the sense of the word in Scripture. And the difference lies in who controls for purposes fulfilled. Who controls for purposes fulfilled is the crux of the issue in regards to the difference between meekness as defined by Webster and meekness as defined by Scripture. Control. Issue number one. Number two, balance. Balance is the middle between two extremes. And meekness is the middle point between two extremes. The philosopher Aristotle taught that all virtue is the balance point between excess and deficiency. Therefore, Boyce, in his commentary, speaks of courage as the balance point between cowardice and foolhardy. When a person's courageous, they're not a coward. When a person is courageous, they're not just foolhardy. They're courageous. Courageous is the balance point between cowardice and foolhardy. Generosity is the balance point between stinginess and foolish waste. Generosity is the balance point between stinginess and foolish waste. 
Meekness is the balance point between excessive anger and pacifism. I like the illustration of a good plumber. He rightly tightens every connection in a system of pipes, joints, and spigots. Too loose, and everything leaks. Too tight, and everything leaks. Rightly tight, and there are no leaks in the system. And so that's the sense of meekness. Meekness is not only control, meekness is balance. That beautiful point of balance between extremes. And then thirdly, as I will demonstrate for you in just a moment, meekness is the unique expression of trust and obey in relationship to real time. If we chase the biblical phrase of Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. If we chase the biblical phrase, inherit the earth, we will see that the Lord Jesus on the mount spoke words previously spoken by King David. That King David is the one who first speaks about the particular kind of person who inherits the earth. Or to say it otherwise, the son of David, Matthew 5, is almost quoting King David, Psalm 37. Now, in order to get a hold of this idea that meekness is the unique sweet spot of control, the sweet spot of balance, the sweet spot of trust and obey, I'd like you to join me, please, in Psalm 37. I'd like you to look at exactly what David had to say in this regard. Verse 11 is where you have the statement that is almost quoted verbatim by the Lord Jesus uh, as he presents uh, his messianic manifesto. Psalm 37, verse 11. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Uh, so the son of David, Matthew 5, says something very similar to what King David said in Psalm 37. The difference between the two is that King David renders a particular logic leading up to the expression in verse 11. David spoke under inspiration of God the truth that the meek shall inherit the earth, but David's de declaration comes at the end of a list of practical imperatives instructing Old Testament saints that leads up to the blessed assertion of inheritance. So the Bible is open to uh, uh, Psalm 37. Go back to verse 1. Fret not. Fret not. And likewise in verse 1, don't be envious. Uh, fret not, worry not, and don't be envious of others. Uh, don't worry or fret over worldly prosperity. Verse 3, trust the Lord. Do good. And God will deal with you according to promise. Verse 3. Verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. 
That's my go to the hospital and surgery verse. Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Uh, I like that verse as a succinct expression of what has to happen in a believer's heart and mind if they are going to uh, indeed trust and obey. So verse 3, trust the Lord, do good. God will deal with you according to promise. Verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord. Verse 5, commit yourself, uh, your way to the Lord. Verse 7, rest in the Lord. Verse 8, cease, stop, be still, just like we saw it this morning in reading Psalm 46. Cease from anger, and do not think to accomplish good by evil means. Verse 9, and it's very important, wait on the Lord as the exclusive means to inheritance as promise. In fact, look at verse 9. For evil doers shall be cut off, says God, but those that wait upon the Lord, those that have a sweet and gentle deferment of their expectation in anything or anybody apart from God, those people that wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. So in this particular scripture, uh, uh, Psalm 37, 11, uh, the people that inherit the earth are the meek. And in verse uh, 9 of the 37th chapter of Psalms, you have uh, a unique expression of uh, those that are meek as being those that wait on the Lord. And so you could just indeed uh, uh, get a better understanding of what meekness is by connecting verse 9 and verse 11. Those that inherit the earth are the meek. Those that inherit the earth are those that wait on the Lord. And that itself gives you great insight into this idea of biblical meekness. But then when you take all of those things together, the meek are those that wait. They fret not. They trust God. They do good. They delight. They commit. They rest. They cease. And they wait on the Lord. And as a result of that, uh, they are the inheritors of everything on earth. That is quite a phenomenal instruction to help our understanding of the definition of meekness as we Return back to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 5. David, under inspiration of God, summarizes uh, meekness under this banner of trust and obey. Waiting on the Lord, trusting and obeying the Lord. And so again, we rally around the definition that's proposed. Meekness is the sweet and gentle deferment of expectation from anything or anyone apart from God and his promise. Meekness is the courage to wait on the Lord for his righteous justice and favor as promised. Our friend Watson says, meekness is the opposite of the common attitudes of self-interest, self-assertiveness, and self-direction. You could take uh, those words from Watson as being the polar opposite of meekness. The meek are not self-interested people. The meek are not self-assertive people. The meek are not self-directing people. Meekness in human life is a life under God's control willingly. Meekness is the blessedness of deferment to the all-wise hands of God. Meekness is deferment of one's life, one's soul, one's mind, one's all into the blessed wisdom of God's hands. 
what a wonderful thing to think about. So now, as we're back in Matthew 5, we're going to plug that little better understanding of meekness into our weekly outline of disposition, demand, and disclosure. And the first thing that we want to say from Matthew chapter 5 and verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Number one is that meekness is true and demonstrated as a disposition, disposition of King Jesus. This blessedness of messianic disposition is clearly forecasted in the Old Testament prophecies uh, that relate to Jesus as being lowly, uh, as being a, uh, both a gentle shepherd and a sacrificial sheep. In fact, that whole realm of Old Testament prophecy concerning the lowliness of Messiah and the gentleness of Messiah as a shepherd and the sacrificial sheep, which is Messiah, is that which the Jewish people in particular have scorned and did scorn in the first century in order to come up with their highly militaristic and conquering mentality of exactly who Messiah would be. But the Bible is clear. The Messiah is not a man of military violence. He is not a man of political finesse and deceit. He would rather be a man uh, performing perfectly the will of God who would be put to grief and made to become an offering for sin. Isaiah 42 says of Messiah, a bruised reed shall he not break, and a smoking flax shall he not quench. As noted by my dead buddy Spurgeon, and in the popular book by Dane Ortland, there is only one place in the entire New Testament where Jesus tells us directly of his own heart. And the Lord Jesus said of himself, quote, I am meek and lowly in heart. Matthew eleven twenty nine. And as Ortland says it in his good book, uh, meek and lowly doesn't mean mushy and frothy. Meekness is the disposition of the heavenly king. In that great expression of Paul, Philippians chapter 2, concerning the mind of Christ, the attitude of Christ that is to be in us, uh, uh, he thought himself of no reputation. Uh, he, uh, uh, he became obedient even to the place of the cross. And in that beautiful expression of the Lord in Philippians chapter 2, you have just a biblical master class in what it means to be meek as God himself defines meekness. Meekness is the disposition of the heavenly king. This is why many first century publicans and uh, notorious sinners love the Lord. And it's also why many of the religious rulers hated the Lord. It is indeed the core issue of conflict in the mind of Judas when betraying the Christ. Christ won't use money for his own ministry. 
Christ will not take care of himself. Christ will not assert his power and win the day, dunk on the world, and say, in your face. And Judas says, I can't ultimately follow a guy that is like that kind of a general. I want a general that's going to stick it to the man, as long as it isn't me. Jesus is indeed meek. And that was greatly disappointing to many that thought they were following him. I found it interesting that the Apostle Paul made a specific appeal to the carnal Corinthians on the basis of, quote, the meekness and gentleness of Christ, 2 Corinthians 10.1. King Jesus possessed a sweet and gentle deferment of all personal expectation from anything or anyone apart from God the Father and his promise. Jesus was and is meek. Secondly, meekness is God's demand. Meekness is God's demand upon people and true of all kingdom citizens. We read in Psalm twenty-two twenty-six that the meek shall eat and be satisfied in the praise of Yahweh. 25, 9 of Psalms tells us that God guides the meek and teaches them his way. 76, 9 tells us that God exclusively saves the meek. 147, 6 says that Yahweh lifts up the meek. And 149.4 says Yahweh adorns the meek with salvation. King Jesus made clear to the Jewish nation in the first century that God's demand for meekness as placed before them was contingent in relationship to the realities of the kingdom being offered as it had been promised. If Israel will ever, ever come to enjoy the kingdom of God, Israel as a nation must be made meek. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It is not thereafter surprising that we would find repeated imperatives and instructions uh, in the epistles concerning meekness. James, the Lord's half-brother, bid us receive with meekness the engrafted word. What? James says, when you listen to a sermon, when you read your Bible, when you study the scriptures, you better bring to God a meek spirit, or this book will ring hollow in your mind and your heart. 
James says the only way to listen to a sermon, the only way to read your Bible, the only way to study God's Word is the meek way. James bids us receive with meekness the engrafted Word and goes on to tell us that the truly wise among us, those that are truly wise among us, demonstrate their faith in good behavior and the meekness of wisdom. So James has a lot to say about the blessedness of the meek beyond the statement that they shall inherit the earth. And then, of course, there's Peter. Peter tells believing women that God places great value upon a meek and quiet spirit. And then Peter goes on in that same first letter to say that evangelistic effort and testimony to the unsaved must be raised with meekness and fear before God. Listen, if you are not going to sweetly and gently defer concerning any expectation from anything or anybody except God and his promise in the moment of sharing Christ with another, you might as well keep your mouth shut. Because the only way you ever engage in evangelism correctly is with meekness. So says Peter, 315, by the way. That reality of meekness is what governs the preacher's heart, the teacher's heart, when engaged in the communication of the word of God. Not only are women to be meek and quiet of spirit, (laughs) meekness and gentleness and fear before God is to dominate every single expression of evangelistic engagement in regards to others. You already know that meekness is a fruit of the Spirit. And it is indeed the Spirit in which church leaders are to do the work of spiritual restoration. Now, all of this kind of comes together and makes me really appreciate the way that, uh, again, Boyce just puts these things together. He said, and I read, taken together, the Bible teaches that meekness is a characteristic by which God promises to bring blessing in the life of Christians and through them to others. And that it is not a natural characteristic. You were never born meek. You may have been born shy. You may have been born with a coward's heart. You may have been born to say, oh, I'm always the problem. I'm always the You may have been born with a doormat spirit, but nobody is born meek. According to the Bible, meekness is something that God himself must bring to you as you learn to defer all expectation. Uh, This is why, honestly, that, that preachers struggle so much during the holidays. Did you know that? Preachers struggle during the holidays? Why would preachers struggle behind holidays? So many distractions. And they're pretty and they're light and they, and they are pleasing in every way. But they're just distractions. And, uh, and the reality is that uh, preachers sometimes uh, struggle during the holidays because the fact is that people are highly, highly distracted from just about everything except that which really matters. 
And because the highs are falsely achieved, uh, then the lows are soon to come. And the pitch of high and low in the holidays for the saints is just staggering. But there is seldom a time of the year when people have higher expectations of other people than during the holidays. Are you going to go? Are you going to come? Are you going to eat? Are you going to be? Are you going to? 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 And, of course, a lot of times the church just raises the expectation of, well, this night we're going to do this, and this night we're going to do that, and we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to do that, we're going to sing, we're going to go, blah, blah, blah. and it just becomes one big hurried blob of disappointing nothing. Unless you learn to sweetly and gently defer your personal expectations to no thing and no other person but God the Father himself and what he has promised you. And then, even in this time of the year, you'll be able to hear these words, blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. That brings us to the word disclosure. Meekness is the disposition of Christ. Meekness is the demand of God upon his people. And of course the disclosure is that this unique sense of meekness yields a phenomenal result. Now, long before the first advent, it's interesting to me that God called the Old Testament man Moses the man most meek on all the earth. God said that. God said that Moses was the most meek man that ever lived on the earth in the Old Testament era. In the context of Numbers 12, Bible book Numbers chapter 12, uh, you, you get a sense of how it was that Moses demonstrated that, that meekness, that sweet and gentle deferment of expectation uh, to nothing or no one apart from God and his promise. In the context of Numbers 12, uh, Moses had a problem with his sister, and Moses had a problem with his brother. Uh, the sister and the brother of Moses, Miriam and Aaron, unfairly judged their brother and spoke against him publicly. Even though he held the highest of office in the calling of God before the nation of Israel. So Numbers 12 records that God calls the three siblings to the tent of meeting. God calls Moses, Aaron, and Miriam to the tent of meeting with God. And, uh, and there, uh, we are led uh, to uh, uh, understand uh, that uh, God decided for the meek and against the self-serving, self-assertive, and self-directed. God weighed in for Moses against Aaron and against Miriam. 
Miriam and Aaron fell under the judgment of God as a result of their complaint and criticism towards Moses. And so then the question is, what did Moses do? Yeah, 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 yeah. Is that what he did? Did he point his fingers at his sister and his brother? Did he say, well, it's about time old Aaron got something going away from him. He should have been spanked a long time ago. What did Moses do? What did Moses do? What did Moses do? Well, here's what he did. He prayed for the well-being, the forgiveness, and the healing of his brother and his sister. He sought not any personal vengeance. He sought not any personal retribution upon his sister or brother, but rather Moses prayed to God on their behalf. You can summarize the main thrust of Numbers chapter 12 with three words. Meek, Moses, pray. And God said he was great. Of course, you know there is a greater. Meek, Moses, prayed. Meek, Jesus, paid. It all. Moses prayed, Jesus paid. Jesus is greater than Moses. Meek, Jesus paid. It all. And in him exclusively, we by faith know that we do and shall inherit all things. The inheritance secured for us in Jesus produces an earthly contentment here and now, regardless of circumstance. And it guarantees our reign in righteousness as being declared joint heirs with Christ. Meekness before God secures the ultimate win because Jesus is the ultimate conqueror. He conquered sin and death at the cross. God's own grace and that alone. You too can possess a sweet and gentle deferment of expectation from anything or anybody apart from God and his promises. You too, here and now, can find the courage in Christ to wait on the Lord for all matters of justice and favor. Blessed are the meek, 
for they shall inherit the earth. Now, with that thought in mind, I thought earlier on, uh, as I was thinking through these things, that that would be the end of my that'd be the end of my sermon. And then, in just my regular uh, scripture reading, I came across a section of a psalm that has greatly impacted my soul in these days, and I recently had it printed out on a card and sent to all of our senior saints who are not always able to be regular in attendance with us. And I'd like to just read that section of the psalm for you this morning as the conclusion uh, to this message on the blessedness of the meek who inherit the earth. Join me, please, in Psalm 62, and I'm reading verses 5 to 8. Psalm 62, verses 5 to 8. When I wrote to our seniors, I said to them that these particular verses are spoken by David in such a way as if one was speaking uh, to himself in the mirror. And I recommended that during this holiday season, in which uh, many of them will not see who they would like to see or go, where they would like to go, or eat what they would like to eat. I suggested to them that this would be a good way to talk to yourself in the mirror uh, during this holiday season. And that which I sent along uh, to our seniors, I give to you this morning before we quit. Psalm 62, 5. My soul, wait thou only upon God. For my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah, think about that. Just stop to think about that. Oh, Lord, help us as your people, having received meekness, in which we might call upon thy blessed name unto salvation on a day past. Oh, God, may we continue to receive by your good hand the spirit of meekness and know that that yields for us in the future the inheritance of everything on the earth. But even for today and in this hour and during this holiday period, it yields for us a blessed sense of contentment for we do not control the weather. We do not control the family. We do not control the church. We surely don't control the world. But Lord, we know that you control all things and work all things to good for those that love you, to those that are called according to your purpose. And may we, just like the psalmist read, may we speak to our own souls the words of trust and obey 
having a clear sense of thy control, having a clear and informed biblical sense of the blessed balance point, that we might exercise ourselves and labor together with you in all matters of trust and obey. We ask these things this morning in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen.